Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. And I'd like you to fill that emptiness with your description of beauty. What do you see? Is it full of color? Is it a landscape? Maybe the mountains, the beach, maybe you're a little bit less mainstream and it's more of a desert scene. How do you define beauty? Is it a person? Is it the smile of someone you love? How on earth could you define beauty? All right, now wipe away the slate. And in your mind's eye, how would you define goodness? It's hard to define goodness without looking at its antonym. Goodness, richness. What other kind of synonyms would you use? Purity, righteousness. Uh, All right, y'all can look up at me. Our creator from nothing established beauty from nothing. Everything that you could imagine is only a replication of what God has already designed and called good. Every artist is is honestly only reproducing what the creator has already done, what the ultimate artist has already painted. There is nothing new under the sun. How great a God out of emptiness creates and then calls it good. In the book Love Does that I've mentioned before, looks like this, by Bob Goff, Bob tells a story of a painting that he wanted to acquire. He saw it every day. It was a beautiful painting of uh, an old man, and he's with his family, and with his family surrounded him, surrounding him, he has a puppet, and he's playing with them, and they're laughing and enjoying time together. And he was just, he was taken by it. It just became part of his soul, and he, he says that he sees it kind of as himself in the future with his family around, regaling them with funny stories and stuff. And it, he said it was so expensive, it took an entire year to save up for it, and he eventually went to the place to buy it, And the guy has like this French accent and everything. And he purchases the painting and and they come out with two. And he couldn't tell the difference between them. And he said, why are you giving me two? And the guy said, well, this is the original. I'm not going to try it anymore. And this one is a perfect copy. Now, what you do is you take the original, you put it in a vault so it's safe. I mean, there's only one that's ever been painted by this artist, and he's going blind, and he's going to die soon, so you need to keep it safe. It's, it's almost priceless. And then you hang this one up, the exact replica, for everybody to see. That's the one that you put out there, because I mean, what if something goes wrong? You have a house fire or something, then the original is still safe. And Bob, because he's different than the rest of us, he goes, duh, why would I ever want to hang up something fake? I want to purchase it because I want to enjoy it. So he said, I just took the fake one and stuck it in a closet somewhere. But I put the original out and I get to sit at my fire and look up at this thing. And it's real. And the, the very hand of the artist is in the brushes. 
He said that he and his family, they have rubber band wars. If you walk in the house, be armed because they're, you're going to get pelted and you'll have welts all over you. And it happens all the time. And one day he sits in his chair and he looks up and the puppets here, the old man had a dent in his forehead from a rubber band. And he's like, oh, what is this? Someone has damaged the priceless painting. He said, you know what? I love it all the more. How perfect is it? Because that's my family time with me and my kids. And we're shooting rubber bands at each other. And look, this bears the mark of our family, of the very thing that I crave. And so I love it all the more. There it is, the masterpiece with our family attached to it. How beautiful. What a cool picture. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it talks about how God sculpted, he is a sculptor, sculpted mankind from clay. He took Adam from the clay of the ground and he formed him. And it says he breathed the breath of life into him. Now, see, Adam was the last of the creations uh, in, in Genesis chapter 1. God builds this whole habitat fills it up with beautiful things and, and incredible creatures, but the pinnacle of his creation was man. And you know what? He didn't create man to reflect anything else in creation. That's what artists do. We reflect other things in creation. We, we only recreate what's already been done. But God created man, not in the image of creation, but in the image of himself. And so God chisels, like a sculptor would, man in his own image and breath the breath of life into him. And so God sculpts us to reflect himself. So just for fun, I wanted to throw up some of what I think are some of the, my favorite statues. They, they don't have to be your favorites. They're some of my favorites. So uh, show me the first one. This is Michelangelo, famous David, right? Y'all have all seen this before at some point. Go, Michelangelo. David, looking very noble. I cut off the bottom. It was that or like a big black bar. Yeah. Anyway, so the next one. This one's done by a guy named Myron. I like this one because it's a discus throw, and he's throwing, but he's in motion. And so it's a, a still frame that is implying motion. And I think that it just pulls you in a little bit. All right, next one. And this one, this is also Michelangelo. This is the Pieta. This is Mary holding the lifeless body of her son, Jesus. The, the look on her face, the, the emptiness of the shell of Christ's body, like it's this, something about this kind of grips me. Oh, whoa, that's Rocky. How do you get in there? All right, show me the next one. This is, I think, one of my favorites. This is called the, the Veiled Version, a guy named Giovanni Straza. Now, look at this. Giovanni Straza captures transparency using solid stone. It looks like she's wearing a veil. Isn't that fascinating? This guy doesn't just create a face, he creates it like there's a veil over it. You, you can't actually, it's stone. It's fascinating to me. Leave that up. That's beautiful. The pinnacle of God's creation, his workmanship, was man, was you and me. And he spent time in detail. And you know what? One of the sad things that we do is we'll take this beautiful thing that our sculptor created 
and we'll put a mask over the face. We do it every day. We take something that has the very life of the creator in it, that reflects his character, his image, his identity, and we put something frail and shallow and hollow over it. A guy named Jefferson Bethke, Jonathan Bethke, sorry, he says this, when you talk down about yourself, remember that you're speaking about someone else's work. So the next time that you're like, man, I'm no good, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm ugly, remember you're not actually talking about what you've had a hand in. You're talking about what the Creator's done. God don't make trash. He makes beauty. And He chose you and imagined you. And you know what? It's our culture that created an image that said you have to be this to be beautiful, valuable, worthwhile. Remember who your creator is. He made you in his image. Where do we seek our identity? Sometimes we seek our identity in the things that we do as a career. Who are you, Dom? I'm a youth pastor. That's, I, I won't lie, that's, that's been something I've used to define myself many times, you know, when I can't, you know, afford socks or a haircut, and I'm like, oh, I'm just a broke youth pastor, <laughs> you know, whenever people are like, why are your vehicles in shambles? They're youth pastor's cars. They've been damaged by youth for years. That's just part of it. I love my dents. They all tell stories. Maybe we find our identity in our achievements. I'm good at something. This is who I am. In the movie Chariots of Fire, it talks about two guys, a Christian guy and a Jewish guy, and they're racing, they're running. Eric Little, and I don't remember the Jewish guy's name, but I remember the first time the Jewish guy loses a race. He never lost a race in his life. And he sits in the sidelines, and he is absolutely dejected and forlorn and absolutely at a loss because he was defined by his winning. Maybe we define ourselves by those things that we've done right. I'm a good person I, I help old ladies across the street. I'm good. I do good things. Maybe we, we define ourselves, I think this is probably the most common one, by what other people think about us. Am I a failure? Well, if everybody thinks so, I guess so. You see, but these things, they, they come with a trap. You know, like the first one we do for a living, that focuses on an action instead of an identity. The things that I've achieved, they focus on if, if what we see ourselves as what we do and when we achieve, we just have to work harder and harder and harder and harder. And we're just workaholics that leave people in the dust and leave our families behind. If it's based on what we've done right, then we're defined by our failure. Because if I stop doing things that are right, obviously I'm a horrible person. If we're defined by what others think of us, then we live to please people. And all of a sudden, the bully at school has more to say about who I am than what Jesus does. Great uncle so-and-so that always has something negative to say becomes the one who defines us. Our teachers, our parents, our friends, what society says we allow to define us. And we live to please them. But the only one entitled at your physical birth, the only one worthy to put their name on you is your parents. And I'm telling you, none of those other things are entitled or worthy enough to give you your name the way Jesus does. In John 3, Jesus and Nicodemus are talking, and Jesus says, Nico, you got to be born again. you got to start fresh. You have to be born of the Spirit. 
And those who are born of the Spirit receive a new identity, become new creations, are born with a brand new life. Who is entitled to put a name on us? Only God. We allow too many sources to define us. Before I move forward at all, there's a guy who had a dream. And in his dream, there was, there was a pasture and there was a fence running down the middle. And on, on one side was Jesus and, and like people for Jesus. And the other side was the devil in some shape or form and, and the devil's people. And at some point he heard a voice that said, choose. And so he's walking down the middle of the fence and suddenly the people on both sides disappeared except for the devil who came up to him and said, hey, thanks for choosing me. And he said, whoa, wait a minute. I haven't chosen him and I surely have not chosen you. And the devil said, you have. I own the fence. If you have not chosen Jesus, if you're walking the fence, you have made your choice. And so before I go any further in defining an identity in Christ, discussing the name that God put on you, do a heart check. Is God your father? Have you given your life to him yet? Or are you still walking the fence? Okay. <sighs> Rabbit trail over. God gives you an identity, and it's not one that you're supposed to settle. It's not an identity where you're undercover, where you play the average. It's an identity where you are in battle, where you are taking ground for the kingdom. It's an identity of adventure, of going to new heights and new distances. It's an identity that you are fighting for the kingdom of God, that you are living for promoting people over yourself. It's an identity that you are a history maker and a world changer. And it might not be the whole world. It might just be her world or his world. Your identity is greater than you've realized. And way too often we keep the real and authentic version of us hidden someplace. Because this right here is safer. The idea of masquerades parties where everybody got together and wore masks. It started back in the 1300s in France. Communities would get together to put them on. And soon they became something for the aristocracy, the very super wealthy to do, and then moved to Venice. And at these parties, they were full of awful and disgusting gluttony and lust because people would put on masks and it would release a freedom to go and do actions they would never do if people knew their names or the family that they came from. They found a freedom in their anonymity. See, masks give us the, the feeling of security. They give us the, the feeling that we are able to step outside maybe the restraints or the pressures of the person that has to live under the mask. Often I think we wear masks because we want to put up a protection against getting hurt. Because if I keep me kind of authentic me, if I keep this one kind of undercover, but I put out this fake version, like the French guy wanted him to do, then it's okay. You know, it's, it's going to be fine. If something damages it, it's fine. It's not, that it's, it's not that it's worthless. It's just worth less. And so it's safe. Do a heart check. What do you think it maybe is a mask that you wear? Be honest. It, it may be uncomfortable. That's in the realm of uncomfortable that we grow and find greatness. What mask do you wear? Here's just some off the top of my head. Maybe there's a mask of being the tough guy. 
I've worn that mask before. Maybe it's the mask of having it all together or the mask of, I don't know, of sexiness. Check someone's Instagram. You'll see what I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe it's the mask of being the victim. Every time you talk to them, someone is always against them. The world is always after them. They're always the victim. Maybe, maybe it's the Christian mask, the religious mask. Maybe it's being the ditzy. You know, one time they, they did an experiment where they took a bunch of girls and ran them through math class, and they took a bunch of girls and intermixed guys and ran them through math class. You know what? The class without the guys succeeded in higher grades. There's something about girls that they'll, sometimes they'll retreat into being like, oh my God, like, I don't, I'm sorry if that's a bad imitation. There's something about that that they'll play the dumb version sometimes when they're around guys. I don't understand this. But it's a reality that that experiment shows. Maybe the mask is being the clown. I've totally worn that mask before. And I'm not funny, so it doesn't work very well. You got that class clown somewhere around? It's a really good chance it's a mask. You know, most of the comedians that we see are the most depressed people. Because this, this idea of being the clown, of being the comedian, is this, uh, it's this safe place. Because the real version is hurting and dying inside. And we believe that if we'll wear this mask long enough, don't miss this. We believe if we'll wear the mask long enough that it will become our identity. We think if only if we can just, if we keep it on and we get everybody convinced, this will become a me. As long as everybody else is convinced, you know what, we might even convince ourselves as long as I've got this on, I can, I can stick it out long enough that this is me. I am the tough guy. I am the white knight. I'm the, I'm the guy. The strong, the powerful, the scary, the angry, I'm the guy. And the thing is, it won't. It just hides away the real, authentic, masterpiece self that God intended for the world to see, that it God intended would reflect him. But God sees through our mask, the one that we may have fooled ourselves about, and he sees that our mask is not freedom. It's slavery. Because it's a mask that just, as much as we want it to hide, God sees that mask, and he sees pain. And he sees fear and emptiness. And he sees us being ingenuine. It's just slavery, because as long as we think that this is doing a good job, we're going to keep that other side buried. As long as we think that people just know that they know that we're awesome, we're going to keep that authentic side buried. As long as people are comfortable with us not being too Jesus-y, we're going to keep our authentic selves buried. It's true. We all do it. Mm -hmm. You thought I had chicken up here. Here's my mask. Party City. Oh, yeah. Check out my mask. Testing one, two. All right, it still works. I'm not going to quote V for Vendetta. It doesn't fit. Oh, is that better? Hello. Testing over there. Can y'all hear me? All right, look at my mask. You can't even tell that I'm smiling at you right now. Right. The face is distorted, shallow. If you're wearing this kind of face, how can somebody genuinely share empathy? How can someone really love the mask? It's only going to get a response to being cold because you can't relate to this. 
See, Jesus sees through this, but this is what we portray to other people. No wonder so many people are lonely because this is what they're showing to the culture around them. This is what they're showing their friends. This is what they're showing their peers and their family. And they're lonely inside because no one's able to relate to love. And they're honestly kind of afraid that the people that do would never relate to the real them, only the mask. No wonder we have a culture that's so lonely. We're so busy being ingenuine that we tear down the bridges for real, authentic relationships. That's scary. But God sees. God sees through it. And you know what? He gives us his word. Back into Popeye's you go. He gives us his word. He's a sculptor, right? He's chiseled away. He's planned you. Psalm 139 says he knew you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He was busy chiseling. Working on you day in and day out. You are special. And you know what was crazy? Is he had a plan for you. I'm not just talking about your physical appearance. I'm talking about who you are. He had a plan for you since before the foundations of the earth. That comes right out of the Bible. He already knew who you were. He knew each of your days. He knew the day you'd be born. He'd know the day you're going to die. He knew everything that was going to happen in between. Because you're valuable to him. And you're a masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his Workmanship. We are his masterpiece in Christ Jesus. His masterpiece, the pinnacle, his, his magnum opus, his masterpiece. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, here's the good news. The old has passed away, the new has come. Why? Because he made you a new creation. He put a new name on you, a new identity, an identity that reflects Jesus. So many people are out trying to find themselves but we, as God's people, our identity is so much less important of finding who me is, because that just makes me an idol, and finding out how we serve Jesus, being a reflection of who he is through the DNA that he gave us. Did that make sense? Was that too much of a mouthful? God's given you, 1 Peter 4.10, for each has received a gift, employ it for the good of one another. He's put gifts in you and talents and plans and he wants you to reflect Jesus through your DNA, through your giftings and talents, through your personality, through the life that only you have lived with your fingerprints. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says this, that we are chosen. I mean, I could, I could spend a whole night talking about that. You're chosen. He picked you. He created you so he could pick you. That's awesome. It says that you're a royal priesthood, royal and priesthood. Those two things are usually separate, but he puts them together. Why? Because you're an heir to the kingdom of God. But what does a priest do? He connects the people around him too. So you are an heir of the kingdom who connects the people around you to the Father God. You're a priest or priestess. You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people that Jesus died for and washed away their sins. Belonging to God and receiving mercy. 
You want an identity? There you go. You want to find out who you are and find out why it's special? There you go. Mission, purpose, hope. Revelation 2.17 says that when we finally meet God, he's going to give us a white stone. And on that white stone is a new name. And it's going to be a name that's secret between you and your father, God. No one's going to know it. Not your closest friends or family or anything. That name is secret and precious between the two of you. What? Did any of you connect this? If before the foundations of the world, your God knew you, that means he already knows your name. It's new to you in that moment, but he is already conscious, aware, and maybe even in the whisper between heartbeats, speaking your name. That secret, special, intimate thing between just you and dad. How special is that? How beautiful. That's an identity. It puts a name on you, a name with value, meaning, and intimacy with your God, the creator. <laughs> it just gives me chills. It's so cool. <laughs> a white stone with your name. Okay, debunking. Because you become a Christian does not mean that life gets easier. Not even a little. Not none. There's a really good chance that because you say, Lord, I call you my master and savior and I'm living for you, that the enemy is going to open up a box of kick booty on you. He's going to come after you. You're wearing a target because you're in a sensitive place that he wants to do everything he can to show you that life's harder now and it's miserable. And look at this God that you chose. I'm going to go back to choosing me because life was better. Two years ago, I counseled a young man in my office and he was saying, you know, I, I come to youth because because my friends are here, but honestly, I don't, I don't believe in this stuff anymore. And I was like, why? He's like, well, I'll tell you. Whenever I pray, the opposite happens. Stuff always gets worse. My life has gotten harder because I tried to serve Jesus. And it was like the Holy Spirit was like, Poof. and I was like, dude, why would you jump out of the life raft? Because the storm got worse. Like, you have a God. That's what Zachary told me this past week. You have a God. You didn't have that before. You have a friend, a father, a best friend, someone to lock arms with who's giving you direction and hope and purpose and you're walking into life's trials with him. Why on earth would you abandon the very thing that's saving you just because life gets a little harder or a lot harder? He's your salvation. That is good news. You have a God. Life's going to get harder. The devil's after you. But you know what? He's creating something in you. He's chiseling on that identity. And 2015, 2016, 2017, these are building blocks in the person that he wants you to be. The person who's going to war for his kingdom, who's going to change things, who's going to make a difference in the lives of the people around them. Stop going back to ground zero. Stop starting over again in January of 2017. It's 2018 now, and God has been equipping you through last year. The trials, the tests, the good things, the victories, all of those are culminating in who he needs you to be for the next 12 months. 2017 is gone, but you are a new creation and a new person now to take 2018 with an identity that says I can because Jesus is goes before me. He's at my right hand, and he's 
guarding me from behind. That's the 2018 that you need to claim for the, for the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus has for you. But we're so busy with our mask hiding behind it that we're playing the background, keeping the real identity of, of the God that can change stuff hidden away in the closet. There is more in 2018 than you're probably willing to accept because it's going to be uncomfortable. But uncomfort is the playing ground for greatness and growth. Take the mask off this year. Leave it behind because God has an authenticity that people need to see in you so he can make a difference in their lives. It doesn't matter if you're tough. It doesn't matter if you're sexy or have it all together or whatever the mask is, the class clown, whatever. Those things are worthless before God, who is the creator and weaving the tapestry of your life. Yep. The authentic you might be out and the authentic you may take a rubber band to the face. Yep. But it's you in the identity of Jesus that is moving forward in 2018. So I, I challenge you. Be honest with yourself. What's the mask that you're wearing? I wish I, I wanted to buy a mask for everybody in the room and say, write in your mask the thing that you think you've been wearing. I'm sorry, I don't have them for you. Write it down. Put it on a little sticky note, piece of paper, draw your own mask around it, whatever. And I want you to stick it on the mirror that you get dressed in front of in the morning. Stick it. That way, every morning as you're getting dressed or you're brushing your teeth or whatever, and you're looking in the mirror, you can look up and say, that's who I'm leaving in my house today. Because as I exit the doors, I'm walking in my identity as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person chosen of God, a new creation, a masterpiece designed by the most incredible artist that time has ever known because he invented it. Walk out your door and leave your mask on the mirror. I dare you. Go home, write it down, be honest with yourself, stick it on the mirror and leave it behind every day. Remind yourself of who is not going with you. The fake, shallow, empty shell that we try to hide behind. Bob closes with this. I think it's a great way to close tonight. But after the puppeteer painting got shot, I realized that God doesn't think any less of us when things don't go right. Actually, I think he plans on it. What he doesn't plan on is us putting a fake version of ourselves out there to take the hit. God is the master artist and made an original version of us, a priceless one that cost everything to create, a version that can't and won't be created again. He asks us to hang that version of ourselves for everyone to see. Despite our inherent beauty, each of us is tempted to hide the original so we won't get damaged. I understand why. I really do. And the fake version of us is not worthless. It's just worth less because it's only a copy of the real us, a version we don't care about as much. When we hang the fake version out there, it's not the version God created. In that sense, it's like an imposter, a poser, a stunt double is standing in for us and telling the world that this is the best we've got, or at least the best that will risk. What I know now is that our infinite value, the original masterwork that we are, is placed in us because God is the master artist, not us. The best we could muster ourselves would be a fake. Lord, as we enter 2018, a new year, 
Let the new us not be made in our image or the image of what we want people to see. Let the new us be made in your image. Let us be courageous and bold enough to shed the fake, to be authentic, to show the creator who created us. Lord, let us stop hiding your signature on us and declare who you are with our lives. You're the king and the artist over all creation, the sculptor who made mankind in your image. Let us live a reflection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.